time has come to retool our playing for ourselves, for our students, and for the greater groove. And the big question remains, of course, what is the future of strings? Come on, let's talk about it. I'm Tracy Silverman, and thanks for tuning in to the very first episode of the For the Greater Groove podcast. Welcome. This is a space where we are going to talk about progressive string playing, in particular, rhythm string playing and grooving, because that, I believe, is how we integrate strings back into the popular musical culture. This is the future of strings that I'm talking about. So if you believe in this mission, please subscribe to the podcast and also check out the For the Greater Groove Facebook group, strumboing.com, and follow me on all your social medias. And I could not be more honored to have on this first episode Mr. Casey Dreesen. Casey Dreesen's name is synonymous with chopping. He has become one of the preeminent choppers in the alternative string universe. He's got a feel and a chop that fiddle players everywhere are trying to emulate. And uh, today he's going to give us a little insight into how he put that together and how he uses it. He is the co-author of the Chop Notation Project. This is a free booklet that you should download if you're at all interested in this, especially if you're a composer and you want to know how to notate this stuff. He has devised a very specific series of notations for different bow strokes for all of these cool scrapes and um, circular motions that he does to create these amazing chop grooves. He's written it all down for you in this chop notation project. And his most recent project is called Other Lands. This is a document in photographs, video, and musical recordings of his travels around the world with his family. I'm so jealous, man. You traveled to all these far-flung places, jamming with these wonderful musicians, eating all kinds of great food, and just having a wonderful experience. How long was that? It was like a year on the road, right? We did it for uh, about nine months, you know. Basically, once, uh, once the school season was done, uh, we left and we wanted to get back. Uh, back to the States in time for my daughter to be able to uh, start the next school year. So it was about a nine-month journey. Yeah, wow. By the way, this is the Chop Notation shirt. Yeah, it looks good on you. <laughs> Thank you, brother. And, I'm ready uh, for a strumboing shirt, my friend. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming in the works. Uh, for four years, he was the director of Contemporary Performance Master's Degree Program at Berkeley College of Music in Valencia, Spain. How freaking cool is that? He's also got a one-man band show called The Singularity. And if anybody's into incredibly mind-blowing, complex looping and effects, Casey's been there too. And then he's got an ongoing project with percussionists called Fiddlesticks. 
which includes a collaboration with my good buddy, future man, Roy Wooten, just a, an amazing musician. Casey, thanks for being here, brother. Tracy, it's awesome to be here. I'm so excited uh, that you're doing this podcast. Uh, I think it's something that is uh, uh, very exciting for the Groovin' uh, string community, uh, which we are a part of and uh, we love to see grow. So thanks for uh, putting this together and uh, inviting me to be on it. Absolutely. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be here without you, basically, because you're one of the main <laughs> guys. And uh, so the so the way this is podcast is going to work, we'll see. This is the first episode. We'll see what happens by like episode 10 or 20, whether things change or not. Uh, unfortunately, you are the guinea pig on my first episode, so hope you're ready to roll with it. And uh, the first segment we're going to do here is called the Groove Hacker segment. And what we're going to do is take a groove and reverse engineer it. Figure out what are the main elements of the groove and how do we play it on a stringed instrument. You know, because so many young people hear the music that they like, the music that they love around them from, you know, a hip-hop tune or whatever, a rock tune, country tune, whatever they're into, and they want to play it on their instrument. They don't want to play some, you know, sort of simplified version of it that sounds kind of classical they want to rock they want to sound cool they want to do what guitar players do play with their friends and just groove on the music that they love so and a lot of them are like oh how do i do that on a violin i don't play a guitar i'm not playing a keyboard so what we're going to do with this groove hacker is we're going to take a tune or two and just really quickly just show how we would do it you know, how do yeah. we approach it? What is our, you know, what are the, what's the priorities? And how do we go about recreating like a track or at least maybe just the rhythm section part, the groove mm -hmm. of it? We're not trying to play a whole song on one instrument necessarily without looping, but just how would we approach the groove aspect of it? Absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've been there uh, a a thousand times, maybe, I don't know, you know, trying to figure out what is going on in the guitar, what's going on in the drums, what's going on in the bass, and how can I put that on my instrument? And I would just encourage everybody to just explore that because that's what kind of helped me break out of uh, the some of the musical situations that I was in and be able to adapt uh, in others, much like a guitar player or a keyboard player or something like that. And you, just like we... We want to sound like a certain fiddle player uh, or violinist. We study them. You want to sound like a guitar player? You got to study them too. So yeah, I'm I'm game for this. Cool. All right. So, um, what tune should we do? You got any ideas? Uh, yeah. I was thinking uh, there was this tune actually kind of early on in my uh, groove explorations. You know, trying to dissect this stuff. Um, and it was one, uh, it was a tune by Sting. And it's one that's called Love is Stronger Than Justice, I believe. And it's got this, I think the first reason that I was uh, drawn to it was because it was in seven. Uh -huh. And I don't really have, uh, at the time, I didn't have much experience playing in seven. And I was wondering how does one do that? <laughs> you know, I come from a world of four and maybe three. <laughs> and if you would put those things together, you would get seven, but I just hadn't really done that very much. Uh, so, yeah, this was a tune um, that was off of his Ten Summoner's Tales record. And I don't know the year of that right now. Um, 
but anyway, it's got this uh, very distinct uh, bass pattern uh, and that's mirrored, I think, also in the guitar. And they do it twice, and then and it's got a certain groove for playing in seven, uh, kind of like a halftime thing. And then it basically plays that groove again, but it goes into what I would call full time or more like a train beat, but it's still in seven, and then it goes back to the halftime. And so it's like there are two different ways to kind of think about playing seven in there that uh, that I thought I would try and figure out how to do on the instrument. So uh, I haven't done it in a while, but it's one that I've always remembered as being an important uh, one in the in the terms of discovery. You yeah. Know? So is it like a seven eight and a seven four kind of? Uh, Here, let me play it. Let's see. And by the way, it was nineteen ninety three. Ninety three. Yeah, so that's the basic idea there, right? Uh, I, I would think of it as a, I don't know, seven four, seven eight. To me, it just depends on how fast you're counting. <laughs> but uh, but I'm thinking one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And it's like a halftime, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So the first thing you're, it sounds like what you're isolating there is where are the, where's the backbeat? Yeah, with the chopping for me, it's, it's been what are drummers doing? You know, because that's like, that's really what I'm kind of recreating in there. And then I'm trying to figure out what it, what of that can I put on the instrument and maybe what is the other dominant thing that is happening in the part and for me I was going with the guitar line which I think is also mirrored in the bass line um the, sort of the I guess the hook for the that intro right right so I think like the the first thing um as you as you're saying is to kind of isolate the drum part what is the groove what's the rhythm uh, motor that's driving this. And then l after we get that isolated, we can start adding some harmony or riffs or other um, goodies in there to make it sound more like that particular tune and not just a, you know, a rhythm in seven. Um, yeah. So um, grab your fiddle, man. Let me hear how you're doing it. Yeah. So let's see here. Uh... They're at A minor, right? Yeah, so we got, so the first thing I was trying to figure out is, like you said, where does the snare happen? So if I've got my feet going, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So that's like the halftime version that they do. And then they go into the full time where there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then I'm probably going back forth, back and forth, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, so six. So let me ask you, let me stop you right there, because what you have just done to, to switch from this chop stroke, basically, where you were just kind of counting and just hitting the snare, to what yeah. you just did, this... 
yeah. kind of thing. I have a specific term for that. I call that a compound chop. What? How do you <laughs> refer to that? Okay, uh, I, hmm, you know, I call it the chop that goes back and forth. <laughs> you know, because I think that the first um, or the cyclical uh, chop, you know, there's this thing that kind of goes. It's not a, you're not going in a circle. There's this other thing that I think of that a sound that in a circle. But um, it's more that you can't continue doing something in a repetitive motion in the same plane, right? like up and down. Uh, up to a certain speed and the tone doesn't change. But if you're going back and forth, so like one that is away from your body, one that is an up and down that is uh, close to your body, then it's like they're happening half as much and you're able, it feeds itself, you know, it springs back towards you and then it springs back away from you. So that's very cool. As you were saying, it's really hard to do this in the same place over and over and over again fast. So it's easier to do this out and then in and out and in, and it becomes, instead of a two-part motion, it becomes a four-part motion. So you're kind of creating twice as many hits with the same amount of effort, basically. Yes, yeah, yeah, That's I think that's a really great way of explaining it. Um, and for me, you can you can do them loudly or quietly, right? those subdivisions. So there might be times where the groove doesn't call for hearing all of that. And so you can be very, very subtle about it. But for me, it helps to keep the time because you are maintaining those subdivisions. You're marking that okay. big space yes. with all those little yep. subdivisions. And I, and, and I know that you're doing that uh, with the strum bowing as well. You know, just the stuff you were just doing. The whole doing. idea. So, the whole yeah. idea. So the compound chop, I know we're we're veering off from uh, Sting for a second, but the right, compound right. shop has three places for me now. Uh, it's got one in the middle, it's got one towards me, and then it's got one away from me. And so like... Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah. It's like one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a... So by finding those three different places there are some other grooves that I've found I can get. Uh, it works really great for halftime stuff. Let me see. So so first of all, just like play the sting thing and then deconstruct it for me. So, so show yeah. me how you all do right. it. Let's see if I can do it. Uh... Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of different things happening there. Yeah. Um, for me, the 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 dominant um, not chord. <laughs> uh, we're in actually minor seven here. Uh, the dominant uh, line in my mind when I'm hearing this is the. something in that vicinity. Right. And so what I started to work on, and this was like a, in a way, like a departure for me to discover something else. It was being able to maintain a chopping groove uh, in the right hand while 
also playing a melody in the left hand. Now, I'm not trying to sound all of those notes. It's more like I'm thinking about that groove. I'm thinking about that line in the left hand. Occasionally, parts will speak out, but you just can't hear every note because they're... Playing drums, basically. Yeah, because things are happening simultaneously. So sometimes you can hear them, sometimes you can't. In my mind, all the dots get connected and I'm still playing the line. Whether or not you can hear every note distinctly, I still feel like I have accomplished the basic idea of this part of the song. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a, a, a glimpse into the brain of yeah. Keith Andreessen. <laughs> That's the part I'm letting you into. <laughs> <laughs> cool, man. We're happy to be there. How would you sing that groove? Sing that groove to me. Just um, like a, if you were just going to sing the drum part. Like. I started with the double time, sorry. But so the, right, the right. so the right. halftime would be something like that. Right, right. And then you can just recreate it on your instrument. Um, just because you can. Um. <laughs> well, yeah, I, sometimes I, like at a, at a workshop or something like that, if, if this is new for someone, you know, um, or if the, what happens is when you're trying to play a melody in your left hand and you're trying to maintain a chop pattern, as soon as you start to play in the left hand, your bow wants to go back to an up and down. Yes. You know, because it's so tightly ingrained and like when I'm playing pitches my bow must go up and down in the standard fashion exactly and so you have to kind of find a way to break that so i'm, I'm telling people that uh you know okay play the line all right now play the chop part now play the line play the chop part you know play the chop try and sing the line if you can you know like slowly one of them is going to become more of a muscle memory and you, because you got to get one happening sort of as a muscle memory so that you can really focus on like maintaining that chop pattern and playing in the left hand without your bow going back to what you normally do. Right. And my other example, my other analogy is like when you like rub your belly and you pat your head, it's like these two totally different things that are happening. Or you try and draw the square in one hand and you do the circle in the other hand, you know, that stuff is tough to do, but you got to practice. Yeah, and it's for string players. One of the difficult things is if you have a rhythm that goes, let's say, I'm just trying to simplify it to that. To to move your hand consistently on the subdivision, like a you know back and forth motion, and not and and not have your hand go with your voice, like down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. You know, like as it comes, to have mm -hmm. your arm doing isolated down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up all the time, like yes, your guitar, and to go da 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 da, and yes. that already is a as difficult for most string players because we never do that. Yeah. I was gonna say it's the train that never stops. You know, yeah. like that that. The motor. It's still always going, even if it's just like I was saying, if it's tiny and you can't hear it, it's still happening just a little bit so that you maintain uh, that feeling in your body. Implied rhythm. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute about our question of the week. 
What is the difference between chopping and strum bowing? What are your thoughts about chopping? Like, how would you, um, you know, how do you define and where yeah. is the order between chopping and other things? And It's a very percussive approach. And it's almost, well, it is like a vertical bowing approach versus, a, I guess, a horizontal bowing approach. By vertical, I mean, you know, the, the bow uh, comes down to the strings with gravity, and as it hits the strings, it just catches it ever so slightly. Like, I don't even want you to think that you're doing a down bow, but what physically is happening is it hits the strings, it is going just the tiniest bit. <laughs> and it rests on the strings, right? It's gravity coming down. And yeah. then, I mean, this is from Richard Green, who invented the chop. You right. know, he said that he, uh, he, he he got a little bit tired of, you know, going up and down, up and down, up and down all the time, right? Uh, playing rhythm. So he went down and he rested. And then he lifted up on the next beat. And if you lift up directly, you know, perpendicular to the ground, it it just catches the string on the way up, just like it caught it on the way down. So it's this vertical motion that I think really uh, probably, that's, that's the essence of chopping, mm -hmm. is that. And then, uh, then there's probably a lot of gray area and overlap between the strumming and the back and forth and the maintaining of subdivisions uh, that you and I both do. You know, I have this strum bowing stuff that, that I've been working with, and and it, chopping is a, as a part of that is the way I look at it because there's so much rhythm that we can do that's not vertical. You know, mm -hmm. this chop stroke is a completely vertical stroke that yeah. doesn't. I mean, in its pure essence, it doesn't have any pitch. Uh, yeah. It's just down up. You can do it. You know, you can get all kind of fancy with it and all that, but it's not. There's no pitches, and it's all the way down at the frog, and it's a vertical stroke. Yes. With some of all that scrapey, um, wonderful um, sauce that you know that can be included in there. Um, but what about when we're playing rhythm out here and we're just going like a? So that's not chopping, but it is right. rhythm playing, um, yeah. and. I realized that for, you know, a lot of what I was doing, like with my bands and stuff like that was playing stuff that wasn't, especially on electric, wasn't really chopping because I had a drummer in the band. I didn't really have to mm -hmm. chop. Right. Uh, so I was playing like a guitar. I was playing the guitar lines, which were pitched lines, but played in a very rhythmic way. Yeah. Uh, and so I just started calling what I was doing, trying to imitate guitar players, strum bowing because I was strumming with my bow. So yeah. Uh, so for me, you know, that that's just a term for any kind of rhythmic, like basically when you're playing rhythm strings, when you're playing yeah. like rhythm guitar part, as opposed to a lead guitar part, uh, melodic string playing, when you're playing rhythmically, um, you could be playing down here at the frog, you could be playing out here, where you're doing more ghosting, the ghosting yeah. is different, you know, you have ghosting out here, like, I'm moving my bow back and forth for you listeners yep. but i'm not making much sound because i'm dampening the string um and when we do it down here we're doing a similar thing we're dampening the string one kind of interesting coincidence if you will yes is that uh when i started to explore all of this i was in a bluegrass band uh i think i was around 12 
and we didn't have a mandolin player, which is an essential part of a bluegrass band. And their role is to do the mandolin chop. And the chop is to uh, be on two and four, and it mirrors what the snare drum does. So I was trying to find ways to fill in for the fact that we didn't have a mandolin there. Right. So my playing started, you know, first it started kind of in the middle of the bow, like you're talking, you know, you know like, it's sort of shuffle. I would call that shuffling oh. on the you know, fiddle shuffle. And then I started bouncing the bow a little bit. And then I started putting some more rhythm, some more emphasis in certain areas, maybe two and four. And it got crunchier and then move closer to the to the uh, frog. And then all of a sudden everything tightens up. So yours was, you know, you're emulating a guitarist, and I was emulating a mandolinist, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Both play both instruments that play with a pick, not a bow. Uh, yep. And you know, it's interesting. You know, the difference between the two. You know, we have so much more, uh, such a wider range of sounds that we can create with a bow. We can sound like a pick, but we can also sound like a bow. And when you have a pick. You only got one. I'm just saying. So, um, <laughs> but uh, but this middle ground here, I, I've been calling this percussive bowing lately because I don't know what else to call it. Um, yeah. But it's basically like a classical player. You know, you classical players out there, you could think of it kind of like, um, you, you know, just really a coarse spiccato. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're off. It's an off the string stroke down here but is a certain point where it's like is it note or is it noise is it a noty noise or is it a noisy note you know and somewhere in between so you know we have all of this incredible palette of range of of colors and sounds that we can draw from um from this completely vertical to the completely horizontal and everything in between and as you get closer to the frog it gets heavier and dirtier and you can get these sounds that classical players don't ever use because they're ugly and they're not appropriate in almost any classical music except maybe some you know really um extended 20th century stuff but in the you know more traditional 19th century violin playing it doesn't appear anywhere so never nobody ever teaches it but those are legitimate sounds in the more vernacular world it's a sound all right (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know I, sometimes I, I think about like we're, we spend so much time trying to figure out how to m- not make those noises on the instrument because it's actually quite quite easy in a way to make nasty noises on this instrument and part of the big learning curve is uh is figuring out how to get rid of those like and you've worked so long to get rid of all that nastiness exactly. and um and i i like stuff without nastiness too but for me it's these are all the colors that you can paint with that, you know, I'm just looking for as many, you know, how to ways to express sound and emotion uh, and it's just learning how to control them so that you can use them or not use them whenever it feels like it's called for in the music. Yeah. Yeah. True that. I love nasty music. <laughs> <laughs> Gritty stuff. I love that. I like nice music too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Just because I play really heavy doesn't mean I don't like sweet stuff. All right. 
And now, Casey Driesen, it is time for our third and final segment of the show, a little something I call Not My Gig. And this is modeled after Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which is an NPR news quiz on their segment, which is called Not My Job, when they ask their guests something that is completely unrelated to their career. So, Casey Driesen, master of the chop, we're going to find out how much you know about chopsticks. Ooh. Get two out of three right, and you win absolutely nothing. This is a true or false. Okay. True or false. Sticking your chopsticks into a bowl of rice so that they stand erect is considered a sign of virility in Japan. I think that's false. I think it's a sign of disrespect. <laughs> you are exactly right. It is a, uh, actually, it's a sign of death. It's um, the uh, sticking v- chopsticks vertically in a bowl of rice is actually what it's taboo. It's incredibly taboo. And it's what they do at funerals. Um, okay. It's uh, it's supposed to bring bad luck if you do that, like in a restaurant. Uh, it's actually called, I'm not going to say this right, but Tsukatate Bashi. Okay. Bashi. So don't do it. Okay. You are right. One right. Second question. Okay. Choice. Chopsticks originated in A, China, B, Japan, C, Korea, D, Mongolia. Wow. I really, really don't know. Um, I'm going to go... I'm going to go with China. You are right. You okay. are right, my friend. First used by the Chinese, chopsticks later spread to other East Asian cultural sphere countries, including Japan, Korea, and Vietnam. I don't think they were ever even used in Mongolia, although I don't know that for a fact. The earliest evidence of chopsticks uncovered so far consists of six chopsticks made of bronze, 10 inches long and a half an inch wide. A little wider than we're used to. Excavated from the ruins of Yin in China. They were used for cooking and not for eating. You know, uh, when I was in Japan uh, on my my other lands trip recently, uh, we were with some friends, and uh, they were using a a special set of cooking chopsticks in the kitchen. Interesting. And it was awesome. And I thought, wow, how easy, how easy great is that and so uh we made sure to come home with some cooking chopsticks they're they're basically just really long chopsticks that you can get closer to the food without burning yourself you know um (laughs) yeah i got a couple sets of those myself oh that's great man awesome all right true or false this is your third you've already got two you only need two to win you have two out of three right already so we're gonna go i want to win big want to win big here we go true or false a favorite of the solo piano repertoire, the song Chopsticks was originally written by composer Johann Strauss Sr., the father of the more famous Johann Strauss Jr., the so-called Waltz King. This is a true or false? True or false. Uh, this one I really, I really don't know. I'm going to go with the father as like a little exercise for his son. Well, I fooled you on that one. It was act, it's actually false. Composer is a woman named Euphemia Amelia Nightingale Allen, was a Scottish composer. She composed the song mm-hmm. 
the original title was The Celebrated Chop Waltz, now known as Chopsticks, in 1877 at the age of 16. In the original sheet music, she includes an unusual instruction, play both hands turned sideways, little fingers lowest, so that the movement of the hands imitates the chopping from which the waltz gets its name. It's the celebrated chop waltz. So I think she was thinking karate chop and not chopsticks. Huh. Wow. Not chopsticks. But it ended, it ended up being called chopsticks. chopsticks because we, probably because we use our fingers yeah. kind of like chopsticks. But she intended it to be played with like a karate chop. So there you go. Wow. That's really good information. I'm happy uh, to bring that to light, as I know that was probably on your mind. Well, you know what you're making me think, though, is that uh, I probably need to work up a rendition of Chopsticks. <laughs> I mean, it seems silly that I haven't done it yet. Uh, so uh, this is a great idea. There you go. For the next episode, next time I have you on, we're going to start off with your version of Chopsticks. Oh, that's perfect. Thanks so much, man, for being a part of this, for being the guinea pig on my very first podcast episode. I'm such a newbie. And uh, as a boomer, I'm just glad I got the thing even running. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, maybe you want to tell our listeners where to find you, what you're doing, what's uh, what are the links and sites and stuff like that you can leave people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so for the Chop Notation Project, uh, and that's with my buddy Oriol Sanya. He's a, a Spanish uh, violinist from Barcelona, Catalonia. And uh, so he and I did that together. And if you want to find information about this, you go to worldofchop.com. World of and uh, yeah, World of Chop. And basically, it's, it, the, it's free. You know, it's a PDF download that gives all the instructions about it, and it's got exercises. And then there's also uh, a uh, like a glossary of the symbols, and I explain. Uh, there's a video out there on YouTube where I explain how it works. Basically, we want people to be able to use it, and uh, we also have this World of Chop uh, Facebook group that we do, and where people can share their ideas and bounce uh, things off of each other, and just kind of a, just a gathering place, really. So that's the Chop Project, and then the other thing that I've been doing recently is called Other Lands, uh, which you mentioned. And that's a, a trip that I took around the world uh, with my family and made music with people, uh, you know, with roots in their traditions, you know, kind of in six different countries. So if you want to check that out, it's called, uh, you go to caseydreesen.com forward slash otherlands. And uh, there's a record coming out on April 23rd. And there's a ton of video documentary uh, of these different collaborations. Amazing, so gonna... amazing, gorgeous video, beautiful photos, man. Are you doing that on your iPhone or do you have some kind of a DSLR? You know, um, the most of the video was done with my iPhone. Um, most of the photos that I did are, I've got a Fuji camera that I got for the trip that I really like. Um, so sometimes it's, you know, you kind of use whatever you got, whatever. you know, with you exactly. in your bag. Yeah. So beautiful stuff, man. And incredibly Thank you. gorgeous music. And I think, you know, uh, um, apart from all of the incredible musical, uh, um, you know, wonderfulness of it, uh, this idea of traveling over the world and meeting people and mingling cultures in a really an intentional way like that, uh, the open-mindedness of, of all of that, I think just speaks to 
uh, I think this community of progressive string players who are very open, tend to be open-minded people who are ready to accept other sounds from maybe what they started learning. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think that what you're doing with Otherlands is just a, a wonderful uh, demonstration of how important it is to keep our minds and ears wide open. When I'm working with kids, I say, you know, we're better musicians when we know and love lots of different kinds of music. Mm -hmm. And we're better people when we know and love many different kinds of people. And it really goes yeah. in the hand because you can't really learn music without learning people because people make yeah. music. So, you know, I tell you, like, we lived in these countries for basically, you know, a month or two. Yeah. And with my family, and then we moved to another one. So there was something really, uh, it was it was different than going for a weekend for a gig, which is yeah. kind of what it's been, or a week for a camp, you know? It was actually like, where's the grocery store? How do I, you know, how do I mail things here? What are the, you know, how does the subway system work? And, you know, it really... You know, really getting an idea of what it is like to be in that culture, more immersed. And that was a really uh, special experience for us. Um, I bet. And I would just also say that talking about uh, keeping an open mind, uh, you know, all the musicians that I met and played with, they were just as enthusiastic and uh, open-minded and eager to explore uh, other music than what they knew so that they could uh, they could find this, you know, kind of bringing these worlds together and finding some new inspiration. So that same feeling is out there. Man, I would love to have you back and talk. You know, we could talk for hours about all this stuff. So it's, it's really fun to chat with you about Likewise, stuff, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Tracy, thanks for letting me be part of the first podcast. It's uh, I think you're going to have a lot of great success with it. It's really fun to talk to you uh, about all these subjects. And I know we could talk for days about them. So... Um, soon I'll be coming to visit you in Nashville and we'll do this in person. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Good to see you, Case. You too. Take care, man. All right. Bye-bye. Take it easy. Thanks for listening. If you want to stay in touch, please join the For the Greater Groove Facebook group. See ya. Groove on. Groove on.